Welcome once again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We're always so glad uh, when you join us right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. Now, uh, Alan Dempsey does our engineering. He does many things here at this station, many things. But he's engineering and gets us on the air. Andrew Hurdliska produces the show for us each weekend. And Emily Lay is with us. She's in Pensacola, Florida, founder of Simplified. And her new book is out, When Less uh, Becomes More. Uh, Welcome, Emily. I'm so happy to catch up with you, and I hope you're doing well. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, Before we dive into the book, uh, what is Simplified? Yeah, so Simplified is a brand of planners and organizational tools for women that I started about 11 years ago. We make uh, the Simplified Planner that we have on our website, and we also sell them through a collaboration um, with At A Glance in stores like Target and Walmart, Office Depot, and Staples. And what prompted you to do that? Basically, I was an overwhelmed mom. Um, Well, actually, not yet a mom when it all started. Um, Wanted to become a mom, and um, I had my own company doing graphic design and was just really, really overwhelmed trying to keep all the things together in terms of life and work and family. And I went out looking for a tool of some sort that felt simple enough to be a fresh start every day. And everything that I found was full of checks or boxes to check and things to fill out and basically left me feeling a little more overwhelmed than I'd started. And so I sat down with a binder and um, a notebook paper and a Sharpie and drew out what a simplified planner could look like, something that would really be, you know, a tool that could help me get everything out of my brain. And it, it caught on like, like wildfire. And I've had the the joy and the honor of, of writing uh, a couple books about our philosophies since then, and it's just been a lot of fun. Now, Emily, the first chapter in your book is called Rush, Less mm-hmm. Rush, More Rhythm. Uh, tell us about that. You know, I really believe um, that women today are facing, well, not just women, men, men as well, are facing an epidemic of burnout like never before. I think there's so much in the world that is calling our attention and requiring our our focus and our love and our work. And I found, uh, I'm a busy mom of three kids, I found that I was rushing through the day and missing a lot, to be quite honest. Um, And what I realized is that really when we stop and look at our lives, when we pump the brakes and allow ourselves the time to take inventory and look at what we're doing and why we're rushing from point A to point B all the time. There are ways that we can declutter our schedules and our brains, really, um, and implement some rhythms that make sense, just some daily rhythms that help us help us accomplish the things that are most important and let go of the rest of it. Then uh, you move on to the topic called technology, Less liking, more loving. What's that mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, if you're anything like me, technology plays a big role in your life um, in terms of 
iPhones and computers and emails and social media, and we're all just so very, very connected. Um, I feel like I know this, especially firsthand, having built a an online business. Um, I found that I was just so drawn to this little thing in my hand all the time, not just for connection to other people or for productivity reasons, but because my brain was just always on the go, searching for something new, wanting to be entertained. And I took a month off of social media, actually started doing this every January, taking the entire month away from as much technology as possible to reconnect with really who God wants me to be and what he wants for my life. And what that involves is the people right in front of me, not the, you know, however many people I'm connected to via technology. Um, Putting some practices into play like that really made a big difference in helping me center myself on the stuff that matters. Now we move to the third topic, noise, less, less noise, (laughs) more calm. And fill us in, Emily. Well, I have a four-year-old twins and I have an eight-year-old and my husband and I, and we all have very big personalities. We laugh and say that we thought for sure God would give us like one quiet child, (laughs) but none of them are quiet at all. So needless to say, we have a lot of noise in our house and, um, the, you know, the TV on and the radio on and just so many things, so many people talking and things happening. We found that life was pretty frantic a lot of times and not just because we had a lot going on, but because there was just so much noise. And this chapter is actually very tactical. It's about turning down the noise uh, practically in terms of turning off the things and also in a more um, theological sense, embracing the calm, getting comfortable with stillness, implementing times in our day, just like you would a dentist appointment or anything else where we can calm our bodies and our minds and have real conversation or have real you know, quiet time where we're able to, you know, just kind of recenter ourselves and re- refocus ourselves. I think it's so important to be intentional about those kinds of things, just like we are the busyness, the, the tasks we have to check off throughout the day. My guest <clears throat> from Pensacola, Emily Lay, her book is called When Less Becomes More. Emily, we've moved to the fourth topic you write about. It's called Social Media. Less distraction, more <clears throat> connection. Mm-hmm. You know, I built my entire business on social media. Um, that's how it really got started and got, you know, caught fire, really. Um, and so Instagram and Facebook and those sort of things played in a very important role in it. But it's easy or it was easy for me to allow those, those things, those important things, to take up too much space in my life too much space in my heart. And I also had to realize that I've got little bitty ones at home who are going to, who are, who are little sponges and who are soaking up all the things and who are going to mirror my actions. Um, and so I found myself just with a distaste for things based on what I was feeding myself in my quote unquote feed. Um, I was feeding myself lies of comparison, um, looking through other people's highlight reels, um, just finding my worth in things that really weren't rooted in any truth. And so I started trying to place a higher importance on connection in real life, having real face time with people, going on a coffee date with a friend or joining a Bible study at church or just connecting 
with my husband face to face rather than the little box in my hand. Um, I think our society in general has gotten away from real connection. And I, I think it's scary to be honest, especially for our kids. Uh, speaking, <clears throat> speaking of kids, uh, what's your advice in, in uh, uh, d- dealing with this regarding children? Well, I have to say, I'm an expert up until age eight. <laughs> That's where we are. I'm terrified of what is going to come with, um, you know, life seasons that we get into with preteens and teenagers. Um, but I think it starts first with looking at ourselves. We are, you know, exemplifying to our kids what we expect of them one day. And if we're constantly on our phones or looking at social media or, you know, taking pictures of every memory or every moment that we spend together, every fun thing we do, we're we're, we're showing our kids that, you know, their value is found in something other than what's real. Um, And so my husband and I just decided that we have to be the role models for that. And that's honestly where we are at this point. Um, Our kids don't have devices or phones. Obviously, they're tiny. Um, But when we get to that place, It's my hope that we can both be role models to them and we can also take a very active role in working through some of the challenges that will happen as they venture into these things. Because phones and social media are a part of life uh, now, you know, take it or leave it. Um, But we will have the opportunity to walk with them through all of that by playing an active role in their relationship with those things. My guest... From Pensacola is Emily Lay. Her book, When Less Becomes More. Uh, We've got another segment with Emily. I want you to stay with us right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And you're listening, of course, to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5 The Word. Uh, We'll be right back. My guest is Emily Lay. She's in Pensacola, When Less Becomes More the name of her book. Emily, we've arrived at this topic. It's simply called Rest, Less Frenzy, frenzy, More Soul Rest. Uh, What are you saying here? And and what is soul rest? Hmm, Good question. You know, as a, a busy mom of young kids, I often felt like, okay, rest for me must mean going to get a manicure or... Um, something like that, something that the world is telling us is the right way to rest. And that's a wonderful thing to do, obviously. But I started to learn that my soul, my heart of hearts needed more. Um, And honestly, a lot of times soul rest looks a lot like sleep. It it involves making that a priority. Um, But I, I also started to learn that I will find real rest when I am allowing myself to be still. I am removing the frenzy from life as much as humanly possible. Life is going to get busy, but prioritizing rest and caring for my heart and soul, filling my well with sleep and nourishing food and water and um, truth, honestly, um, so that I can then pour out those things onto the people that I love, onto the work that I love. I feel like when I've had seasons in my life where I've put in Uh, hurry and comparison and frenzy. And when we feed ourselves those kinds of things, we don't pour out a lot of good stuff. So remembering to fill my own well and allow my soul the time to breathe, the time to rest, I think is really important in allowing to be the best version of myself. 
Now, Emily, let's move to uh, topic number six called wellness. Less Mm -hmm. fake, more real. Yeah. This chapter had a lot to do with taking care of our bodies, um, with feeding ourselves good food and um, truth. And, you know, I actually had an experience um, a couple of years ago where I finally decided it was time to exercise. And obviously we're told that that's good for us, that moving our bodies is healthy. But as a busy working woman, I didn't have a lot of time for it, or at least I thought I didn't. What I realized was I was spending, you know, hours uh, doing things that didn't matter throughout the day. And if I really just turned some of those things that we've talked about down, I had time that I could then allocate to moving, to getting outside. Um, And I started to feel transformed from the inside in when I made that a priority. Um, I've noticed the same thing with my husband and with our kids, too. When, When we get outside and we move our bodies and we we enjoy the privileges that come with having a body that's able to do that, then we find beautiful endorphins and that we have more energy and that we're, again, able to be the better, you know, versions of ourselves. Uh, And that moves us to faith, less fear, Mm -hmm. more community. Uh, Tell us about that, if you would, Emily. This was one of my favorite chapters and probably the hardest chapter for me to write. Um, I was raised in a very faithful family, but was not raised in church. And so it was always the kind of mindset that church is wonderful, but we don't have to go there to be believers. And that worked for me for a long time um, until it didn't. And as I became a mother, I started to have this thirst for community that was different than just friends in everyday life. Um, and I was scared to go and find a church because I realized I didn't speak the language. I didn't necessarily know exactly what to do. And I didn't very much feel comfortable being the new kid. Um, but I made myself put one foot in front of the other and prayerfully um, visited multiple churches and brought my family along when we moved here to Pensacola. And eventually found a group of people who were passionate about their faith and about serving and loving each other in the community that we live in. And it was uncomfortable at first, but I found a really, a really great church home and a really great community. And um, it was life-changing. Our kids were baptized there about a year ago, and we just have found really, really good friends and become part of something a lot bigger than us. So um, it's just that chapter's a little bit about my journey through that. Well, we now have arrived at parenting. Topic number eight. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and the subtitle is called Less Great, More Good. Uh, I want you yeah. to cover that for us, Emily. This is a theme that really runs through throughout the entire book. Um, I started to question especially as an entrepreneur, you know, what would it look like if we redefined the quote-unquote good life? What does the good life look like? And does it have to be great? Do we have to raise the valedictorian or the star baseball player? Could we instead aim to raise kids who are kind, who are inclusive? Um, And really that became a priority for us. And I, I really started to look at some of my own 
experiences as a mom where I expected greatness out of my kids without, you know, allowing them the grace that I'm being shown. Um, and so, especially with my son, who is now eight, uh, he was seven at the time, you know, there was one afternoon where he, he came home and he was upset about his brother took his Legos and he was just very, very angry. And I wanted to say, okay, let's get over it and move on, get it together. And I, I started to realize, like, maybe there's something underneath all of this. And I think when we remember the grace that God's showing us and we try to have that with our kids and we slow down and, tar- and start to uncover, like, what's underneath the things that are happening, um, we realize that there's a an intrinsic goodness in time and in attention that our kids are still thirsty for. And while we may want to, you know, gloss over things and rush on to the next thing, sometimes all that's required of us is just a little bit of time and different expectations and a whole lot of grace. Um, this is a, a continuous struggle, I think, as a parent, especially for me, but um, it was a chapter that was a lot of fun to write, um, you know, especially at the age my kids are. Emily, let's uh, talk about chasing. Uh, less mm-hmm. chasing, more cherishing. Uh, you're going to have to explain that to us. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the modern world has afforded us a lot of conveniences that are wonderful. Um, things like Amazon and um, grocery delivery and just all sorts of things that are convenient and wonderful, but you know, have their place in time, I, I started to look at um, the decisions we were making day to day, the choices we were making, and, you know, the chase we were after, the next thing, um, the bigger, better, and all of that. And I started to wonder, in our effort to get all the things done during the day, what are we missing in life? And it reminded me of the story of um, when I was a little girl, my mom was a teacher and had summers off. And would take me to the local Kmart parking lot where the bookmobile would visit. And this was an old RV that had been transformed into a traveling children's library. And I would go there and, and sift through the books and find my favorite one or two and take them home to read them. And then rush to bring them back and, and choose my next two inside that old bookmobile. And it's really where I fell in love with books and writing. But what do I do today when one of my kids needs or wants a book? I buy it on Amazon, and it comes the next day. And I just realized this is one of many examples where something's being lost, that we're just opting for the path of least resistance, and really there's there's memories to be made and, and loves to be found. And I think when we're too busy just trying to get it all done, we miss something. Um, so, yeah, one of my favorite chapters. And then uh, your 10th chapter is called Home, Less mm-hmm. Stuff more treasures. Yes. So by trade, I'm a quote unquote expert at organizing. And that's what my, really my gift is in organizing things and decluttering spaces and things like that. I, we moved a year ago from South Florida. Uh, We lived in Tampa and we moved to Pensacola. And in that process, I realized just how much stuff we have. And I truly believe that physical clutter is mental clutter. And so throughout this chapter, we talk about making a place and creating a home and how we can create spaces that are spaces of rest and respite from the rest of the crazy outside world within our walls. 
And what that does for the people that live here, the people that we have over, the people that we love, um, not just through the acts of decluttering and removing the distractions, but also in intentionally making places, no matter the size or shape of your home, making places where people can come to be seen and heard and to rest. Um, and I think that it's such a it's such a powerful thing that we can do no matter who we are or what we have, we can make a place for our souls to rest. Emily, <clears throat> what do you want people to take from your book and, and also our discussion? Mm-hmm. What, do, what do they take I, from this? I hope that through this book, um, you know, I started and ended the book with a letter to my four-year-old daughter. I, it is my hope and prayer that she always maintains or has that brightness that's inside of her right now, that she's always as loud and bright and funny and captivated by the world as she is just this very moment at four. Um, but I know what happens as we get older and we get stressed out and we get overwhelmed and we become frenzied. It's my hope that people who read this book are able to reconnect with who they used to be and that they're able to look at life with fresh eyes and remove things, distractions, clutter, um, and start to embrace the idea that less can truly be more and that our value is found in so much more than some of the things we allow to define it today. What has been the reaction to your book? It's been wonderful. Um, it was it was a life-changing experience just to write the book, but to be able to connect with so many women who, uh, and men too, who are picking up this book, feeling completely overwhelmed, totally frenzied, and ready for a slower pace. Um, it's just been a real honor to be able to put this message out into the world. Uh, what's next? Uh, do you have something else in your pipeline? I have a laptop in my lap right now. <laughs> I'm mm. writing... Another book, actually, that will release in early 2021, and um, it's going to be all about embracing the bold, spirited, strong woman that God made you to be. Mm. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about that? It sounds fascinating. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, I, uh, in writing When Less Becomes More, I realized that there was an unlearning, an unbecoming that had to happen for us to really reconnect with who we are at our core. And then after that, I feel like there's this replenishing, this refueling that has to happen so that we can be the absolute best versions of ourselves. And it requires, it requires us daring to do the work to build the lives that we love. And um, I'm about maybe one eighth of the way into writing the book, but it is, uh, it's so far really, really fun. It's a, it's something that, um, you know, I think there's a lot of books out there right now saying that you can hustle till it hurts, that you can do all the things all at once. And I would beg to differ. I believe that there is a better way. And um, I'm really excited to just share my very imperfect journey building something that I love and hopefully encouraging other women to um, build lives that they love as well. Emily, <clears throat> tell us uh, how you were growing in your faith. And your and your yeah. strength as a Christian woman. That is a great question. Um, I I don't know if it's that I woke up on January first feeling this way or what, but I am feeling very very called into the Word these days. 
I'm feeling like God is, is bringing me back to where I can find real truth because I spent a lot of time finding it in all the wrong places. I think that this next book of mine will be more, um, it, it, it will be more full of my bold faith than any book I've ever written. Um, I'm not sure. I think that's just where I am in my spiritual journey, that God is bringing me back to him, back to what's, what's in the book of all books. And, um, yeah, I, that's where I am right now. I'm feeling like he's calling me to step out in faith a little bit and be a little bit bolder uh, about who he is and reflecting that out into the world. Wonderful to talk to you, Emily. Congrats on your book. So glad that we could um, get together here. Me too. I really appreciate it. Emily Lay, author of When Less Becomes More. Uh, By the way, folks, we're uh, uh, trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando, and we need your help. Uh, Go up to our website, orlandodreamers.com, orlandodreamers.com, and and just say, uh, I want to do this. It's a good idea. Major League Baseball in Orlando would be awesome, orlandodreamers.com. We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Emily Lay was our guest in that first segment from her home in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, We're joined by Dr. Darius Daniels, uh, who pastors a church in uh, in South Jersey, but he's in Orlando, actually, as we're talking. And the book is called Relational Intelligence. Darius, welcome. Uh, Nice to catch up with you, and I hope you're doing well. Yes, sir. I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited. I feel privileged, and I'm excited to be part of the program today. What does relational intelligence mean? Well, I define it as this. It's simply the ability to define and align your relationship. And what I mean by that is you really don't align people. You align your expectations from them and your investment in them. So it's, 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 this, it's based off of this whole idea that um, people's greatest joy and greatest pain is going to come from the same place. That's relationships. Mm. Um, people's peace and people's productivity is also primarily going to be greatly impacted by their relationships. And so my argument is when something is disconsequential, to our well-being, we can't afford to be unintentional in the way that we manage them. And this means that we've got to do more than manage them emotionally. We also have to manage them intelligently. Mm. And it's based on the idea that everyone should be loved unconditionally, valued equally. No one is worth uh, more value than anyone else but treated differently and treating everybody right doesn't mean treating everyone the same. And we have to align our expectations um, of people with reality. And we've got to make strategic investments in people based on reality. If not, we'll end up living life in a way where the people who mean the most to us get the least from us. And that's kind of what the heart of the book is all about. Well, You open the book with a part about defining your relationships, and I want you to talk about category number one. It's called friends. Yes, sir. I think it's 
is probably the most important category. And I think it's a term that's thrown around a lot. And I guess everyone has the right, everyone reserves the right to define it as they see fit. But for me, um, it is the most consequential relationship because it's probably going to be the relationships that are most reciprocal in your life. Meaning that even though friends don't contribute to your life in the same way that you contribute to their life, there is a right for you to have a legitimate expectation that there's going to be some reciprocity in, in this relationship. And these are people that um, when it's working well, like when friendships are working the way uh, God intends for them to work, what ends up happening is these people become just like family without your last name. And the way I define it is I kind of, uh, juxtapose it with another category called associates. And that is an associate may be someone you spend your life, a great part of your life with, maybe because you work together or go to the same school or have the same interests. But a friend is someone you spend your life on. Um, that's, a, that's a person and that's a relationship where you're making unique investments um, because of the unique nature of the relationship. It's this whole idea that everyone is equally valuable but everyone does not add equal value to you and friends add a different kind of value to your life. And hopefully you add the same to theirs. The second, <clears throat> the second category is simply called associates. Uh, what do you write here, Darius? Yeah. Well, the whole idea of associates is I think people often get these confused with friendships. And as I mentioned earlier, an associate relationship is a relationship that's the result of common schedules or common interests. It may be we work together. And as a result of us working together, we spend a lot of time together. Um, and as a result of that, there's going to be some relationship. There's going to be a relationship that develops. But very often people can, because of the amount of time people spend together, they can um, assume that this associate is a friend. When there are, we talk about these in the book, there are five character traits that should be present in friends. And some of these character traits may not be present in an associate. So this, this doesn't mean that you don't have a relationship with them. It just means that there might be things you share and expose to friends that you wouldn't share and expose um, with an associate because there may not be the character traits that are present in that person that makes you feel safe, or it may not be an issue of character. It may be an issue of chemistry. You just don't feel the kind of connection with that person that you do with a friend. So you're authentic with them, but you're not as transparent with them as you would be um, a friend. Now we move to the third category here with relationships, uh, assignments. Uh, What's that about? So that's basically mentoring relationships. So I believe, without a doubt, whether you have the label or not, everyone is providing some type of mentorship to someone. It could be a formal mentoring relationship where the title exists, hey, will you be my mentor, you're my boss, you're my supervisor, you're my coach. Or it could be an informal peer mentoring relationship where it doesn't have a label or title, but there's just a relationship that's developed and you're adding value to someone's life in some way. I call it assignment 
specifically because I think everyone has to get to the place where they're kind of at least clear on the reality that every need is not your responsibility. There are way too many needs that exist in the world. Um, there, there are too many needs that exist, too many needs that exist in the world for one person to meet. And so it's important to kind of discern and distinguish, okay, where am I supposed to make a contribution? And who am I supposed to contribute to? Who demonstrates the openness, the hunger? Who do I believe I got the experience and the expertise to help and add value to? And uh, in the words of Andy Stanley, do for some what you wish you could do for all. And that's, that's the whole idea of assignments. And then finally, in, in this category, advisors, category number four, fill us in. Yep, and advisors would be um, mentors that you have in your life. Um, and these are people that contribute to your life in unique ways that either do one or two things. One one of two or both, and that is they help you become someone that you could not become on your own, or they help you accomplish some things that you could not accomplish on your own. And one of the things I say about mentors is it's not, it's not a person's greatness that should determine whether or not they're your mentor. It's your goals. So someone can be great in an area that's not necessarily aligned with your own goals, dreams, vision, or sense of purpose for you. So finding people who um, are willing to make that kind of contribution to your life and have the ability to make it in a way that aligns with what you feel like you've been called and created to do um, that describes for me the mentoring relationship, which is probably, in my opinion, the second most significant relationship in category out of all of them. Friends are the most important because you're going to get most, most of your accountability is, is going to come from your friends because you're going to be more transparent with them than you are with others. But after that, to me, it's going to be the mentoring relationship. It's probably going to be the second most significant relationship in that category. Dr. Darius Daniels, <clears throat> excuse me, is our guest. His book is called Relational Intelligence. Uh, we have um, finished up on part one. Now, part two is called Discerning Your Relationships. And the first chapter is simply called Reflection, Darius. Uh, what, what does that mean? What's that about? So, so I guess when you put it in context of, chapter, uh, of the first part of the book, the first part of the book just really challenges the reader to say, hey, there are kind of circles or categories or places or labels, descriptions that you can give when it, that you can give to relationships in your life. This, this chapter that you're referring to is a little, a section you're referring to is a little different mm-hmm. because it, it's about now taking the next step, which is to reflect on my relationships and ask myself, is this relationship actually what I'm calling it? Um, for example, it's one thing to know I've got friends, associates, assignments, and advisors. That's one step. It's another step to engage in the act of reflection, which is really 
discernment is asking yourself non-judgmental questions about um, the way you feel about certain relationships in your life. It's, it's um, an act of discernment, not to judge a person, not to judge a person or to judge a relationship, but to place it. It's, so it's almost like, is that an apple tree? Is that a pear tree? I need to know the difference, not because apple trees are bad and pear trees are good, but I need to know the difference so I know um, whether or not apples or pears <laughs> is something that I actually want in my life. And so I think that is, well, that is the heart behind this chapter, this section of the book, and it's a necessary step. I think people, we all should take seasonally in our life, engage in this act of reflection so that we can properly align our expectations and our investments in relationships. Then, uh, in this area of discerning your relationships, evaluation, and in parentheses, it says fruit inspection. Uh, Mm -hmm. What's that about? (laughs) Well, um, it's based on this old principle, this old adage uh, that Jesus said, you know a tree by the fruit it bears. And again, this isn't this isn't for the purpose of judging the tree, but this act is an act of discernment so that you know where to place the tree, per se, in your own life. And so fruit inspection is trying to take a non-judgmental, objective look at the fruit, the actions, the activity, the character traits that are being displayed by the people we're in relationship with. And the fruit, not just our feelings, is actually going to give us great insight into what kind of relationship this is or is not. And so I feel like um, it's really a balancing act. So it's, it, I'm not saying that feelings should not be involved, that we should turn off our emotions. That's part of being human is being emotional. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is when it comes to decisions like this, our emotions can be in the car, but our emotions should not drive. There has to be fruit inspection. Let's talk about the next topic. It's simply called clarification uh, can you clarify that for us? Yeah. Well, I think um, all of us, as it relates to um, relationships, hit seasons where things are not as black and white as we like for them to be. I, I think in a perfect world, everything's black and white. People are good or bad. They fit neatly into one category or another. But the truth of the matter is, when some of this stuff plays itself out in life and in reality, uh, that's just not the case. Sometimes it's unclear whether or not is this a friend, is this a friendly associate or an associate or a friend that has associate qualities, or is this an assignment or is this a friend? And so I think it's important to continually and consistently clarify in different seasons or or engage in um, an act of clarification in different seasons 
so that I have a clear picture of what this relationship is to me now, because it's possible to have been something in the past, but that doesn't mean that is what it is in the present or what it will be in the future. My my guest is Dr. Darius Daniels. He lives in uh, South Jersey and... He is the author of Relational Intelligence. More with Dr. Daniels right after these messages on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Dr. Darius Daniels is with us. We're talking about his book, Relational Intelligence. Darius, there's one more uh, topic under discerning your relationships. It's called acceptance, uh, and I want you to tell us about that. Yeah. You know, once we once a person goes through an act of reflection and you're evaluating and you're clarifying um, kind of the status, the state and status of some relationships, sometimes you come to conclusions that are hard to accept. And this part of the book really challenges us to really come to terms with the fruit that's being displayed in some of the lives of the people we're in relationship with. And in addition to that, um, being able to live with, embrace, and accept that although that may not have been the reality in the past, and maybe it won't be the reality in the future, it is the reality right now. And you need to govern yourself accordingly. You know, um, Henry Cloud and John Townsend wrote this book, uh, on called safe people, and you know, it, again, it isn't labeling people as good or bad, but it is discerning and making a determination on whether or not, uh, in this season of your life, that relationship is good for you. And there are times when it's really, really difficult to accept that because I think there, especially when you're an optimist or a person of faith, there's this hope that. When people change, all change is for the better. And sometimes, unfortunately, that's just not the case. And there's an Old Testament example of this in Scripture with a relationship between a person named Saul and David. And there's a, a clear-cut example of the way this kind of fleshes itself out in their relationship. Initially, Saul is very complimentary of David, flattered by David, has great affection for David. But as the relationship progresses, Saul becomes jealous, intimidated, insecure, hostile toward David. And unfortunately, that reality that's seen in that story often happens in people's lives. And it's really, really difficult sometimes for people to accept that who that person was is not who they are. And when you don't accept it, you keep positioning yourself um, at a place in that relationship that can be um, damaging for you and, and detrimental to your calling and your sense of purpose. Now, <clears throat> we're going to move to your third part. It's called aligning your relationships, which means what, Darius? It means two things. Again, we say I say aligning relationships, but for the most part, it means aligning your expectations and aligning your investments. So once you're clear, once you see some things, 
you've actually got to do something about it. It means that you may lean into some relationships more. Where you say, this is a friend, this person adds unique value to my life. I want to lean into this relationship more. I want to prioritize it more. I want to make time for it more. And so there's some adjusting that people make that you may have to make with um, your time and energy, or there may be just some some reinforcing, some making. You, you may not have to make adjustments necessarily, but you may just want to reinforce what you already are doing. But then there are times where a person realizes, okay, this relationship, I, I've been treating it like it was one thing. But now after reflection and evaluation and clarification, I see that it's not. So it's necessary for me now to make some adjustments, to, to do some aligning. And sometimes that means setting boundaries. Sometimes that means putting emotional distance, sometimes even physical and relational distance between you and somebody that you were closer to in one season of your life. And getting closer to someone is a little easier than putting distance between you and someone. And sometimes putting that distance requires some hard conversations. So what we do in the book is we um, script out some boundary setting combo bound. We give people some boundary setting scripts to kind of help them think through the best way to have some tough conversations that they may have to have to align some relationships in a way that are in the best interest of you and the best interest of your sense of call and your sense of purpose. Darius, uh, under uh, this uh, topic in part three, uh, you lead off with a word called advocation. Uh, what are you writing here? Yep, it's it's so it's really I'm encouraging people to to do a couple of things, and one is to first of all understand that you are responsible for stewarding the life that God has given you, and this means that there has to be some assertiveness. That being a good steward is is not the same as being selfish. So when you advocate for or are assertive about what is in your best interest, that's not selfishness. That's stewardship. Because I believe that um, what is in your best interest does not come at the expense of what's in the best interest of someone else. I don't believe that. I believe that you making a decision about what's in your best interest may not be consistent with what someone else prefers or what they're like, what they would like, but you doing what's best for you. Uh, I don't think God designed relationships that way, that you doing what's best for you. It's not going to come at the expense of someone else. So it's really important for us to be, to take responsibility for the life God's given us and to advocate for ourselves. It's this whole idea of, loving your neighbor as yourself. But you can't love your neighbor well if you don't love yourself well. Darius, you're responsible for stewarding that. I want to move uh, to part four. So part one is defining your relationships. Part two, discerning your relationships. Part three, aligning your relationships. And in the closing couple of minutes, part four, assessing your relationships. What kind of friend are you? Um, a model for healthy relationship building. How's it going? Uh, tell us about that, please, part four. 
Yes, basically two things. Um, one, the purpose of the book isn't just to have better friends, associates, assignments, and advisors. It's to be a better friend, associate, assignment, and advisor. So the first part is, hey, assessing you in your relationships and doing that consistently and continually. And the last part of that is also acknowledging that this is a lifelong exercise. And so that we should, in different seasons of life, we should all engage in this act of assessing um, because time changes and we change and people change. And when we continually and consistently do this, we'll be able to stay, uh, to make relationship decisions that are in our best interest based on the season of life we're in. Darius, what do you want listeners to take from our chat? What do you want readers to take from your book? Um, That relationship management is not just relationship management. It's life management. That you don't do life well if you do relationships bad. And anything done excellently requires intentionality. It requires a degree and a dimension of intelligence. And uh, hopefully this book will help people grow in that area because this area is too, too consequential to our calling. Um, it's such a priority as it relates to our purpose. It, it's so fundamental to our well-being. We can't afford not to be intelligent and informed in, and intentional in the way that we deal with them. Darius, tell us about the, the church that you lead. Well, it's called Change Church, and it's a multi-site but multi-regional church, which is, um, you mentioned earlier in the broadcast, I'm in Orlando now, because we've got two locations in New Jersey. One's in central Jersey, close to Princeton and Trenton. The other's in South Jersey, West Hampton, which is in the Burlington, Mount Laurel, Lumberton uh, area. And uh, we also have a location in Orlando, Florida, that's a year old, and it meets on Saturday evenings at 530. So. Mm. I'm in Orlando on Saturday evenings at 5.30 and in Jersey on Sunday um, mornings. And um, the name is really kind of what we're, we're all about. This is, we, believe, we believe very clearly that um, God wants to do more than save our life. He wants to change it. And, and that's what our, our spiritual family is all about, no matter what skin you're in, no matter what stage of life you're in. My guest has been Darius Daniels, author of Relational Intelligence. Uh, We have a wrap-up right after this. Stay with us here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, Emily Lay was our guest in that first segment, talking about when less becomes more. And then Dr. Darius Daniels who's actually, actually was here in Orlando, uh, talking about relational intelligence. That's his latest book. Speaking of books, uh, my most recent book uh, has come out. It's called Lead Like Walt. And we look at Walt Disney through the narrow focus of leadership. We write about his vision and communication skills, people skills, his boldness, um, his serving heart. Uh, you'll enjoy this book. It's uh, in bookstores now, Amazon, a wonderful way to order books. Lead like Walt. We're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5 The Word in Orlando.